In today's video, we are going over an evidence-based guide to cervical radiculopathy. Let's do it. So why are we going over cervical radiculopathy? Well, for one, neck pain is going to be very, very common for your patients. However, cervical radiculopathy is not that common. When patients have cervical radiculopathy, it's extremely scary. They have these shooting pains going down the arm, numbness, tingling, paresthesia. Um, and then when they go to the doc, the doc's like, you've got a pinched nerve. It's extremely scary. And I think because of this, from a treatment perspective for a physical therapist, we're not exactly sure how to treat it because we don't see it that often. We're not sure if we should treat it differently. And generally speaking, it is treated a bit differently than generic neck pain. The other reason why I'm covering cervical radiculopathy is because you guys asked me to do it. So I want to go very in-depth on this topic today. So we just have a lot of stuff to go over today. We're going to go over the prevalence, the history, the clinical presentation, prognosis, natural history, predisposing risk factors, anatomy, diagnosis, differential diagnosis, and lastly, treatment. And now I've got a free guide for you today. It's an evidence-based cheat sheet to cervical radiculopathy. We go over all the fundamental basics for diagnosis and treatment of cervical radiculopathy. It's an eight-page PDF, and I'll take you from a novice to an expert extremely quickly. I'm going to leave a link in the description so you can go ahead and download that right now and get learning. And lastly, this cheat sheet was specifically made for the lesson today. So I have all of the bullet points in this presentation included in the cheat sheet. And this is really nice. So if you download it, you can follow along with today's lesson. And the other piece is that a couple months from now, if you're like, ah, oh, man, I kind of forgot what Dan said about cervical radiculopathy. You have a new patient coming in tomorrow and you want to make sure you do a good job. You can just take a look at the cheat sheet, reference it, and just nail your examination. So what is cervical radiculopathy? Cervical radiculopathy is a neurologic condition in the cervical spine characterized by true neurological loss. Now, what is true neurological loss? That could be a change in sensation. That could be a change in reflexes, or it could be a change in myotomes. Radicular pain, on the other hand, is going to be pain originating from a compressed dorsal root ganglion or inflammation of that nerve due to a variety of mechanisms. What's important to understand is you can have radicular pain without radiculopathy. So if you don't have a true neurological deficit, that wouldn't be a true cervical radiculopathy by definition. But if you have pain coming from that nerve root due to inflammation or compression, that would be radicular pain. What's also important to understand is that compression of the nerve root alone is not enough to create pain. There has to be some inflammation as well. And we'll talk about this a little bit later as to when this happens. However, compression by itself can create some of these neurological conditions we just talked about before. I just think from a patient education standpoint, talking a little about compression, how compression doesn't lead to pain immediately is probably helpful for the folks you're working with. So what is the prevalence of cervical radiculopathy? It's actually quite a bit lower than other pathologies you work with as a physical therapist. So you're going to see 1.21 to 5.8 injuries per every 1,000 uh, persons. And this is about 0.5% of folks. If we compare this to something like lumbar radiculopathy, three to 5% of all folks are going to end up getting this. So the same condition of lumbar spine is much, much more common than in the cervical spine. And if you compare this to something like low back pain, around 80% of the population is going to get this over the course of their life. So cervical radiculopathy, obviously very scary. As a physical therapist, you're going to be treating it if you treat necks for long enough, but it's going to be much less common than lumbar radiculopathy or something like low back pain. 
So which areas of the cervical spine are most susceptible to radiculopathy? Well, what I will say first and foremost is I've seen different numbers from different research studies. So what you hear right now might be a little different than what you learned, right? If you guys want to check out the uh, references, I've included all of them in the show notes. So at any point, if you're like, I'm not sure where Dan got this information from, there's going to be a uh, corresponding citation so you can check it out. So the C7 nerve root is most commonly injured, followed by the C6 nerve root, followed lastly by the C8 nerve root. And the prevalence of you hitting the like button and subscribing to the channel is way lower than I'd like it to be. Let's go ahead and hit that like button now and continue on. So what's the prognosis or natural history of cervical radiculopathy? Basically, does this get better over the course of time? Do we need to imply some exercises to make it better, right? Uh, over the course of 5, 10, 15 years, are these folks going to continue having weakness for the rest of their life? So generally speaking, 70 to 95% of patients with cervical radicular pain will significantly improve with conservative treatment. So what the heck is conservative treatment? I think the first piece is time. We tend not to think that time is a big part of conservative treatment. Uh, largely, folks will get better just with the passing of time. Your body's pretty dang good at healing things within your body. The other piece is going to be some sort of exercise therapy. Usually this is physical therapy. We'll talk about what constitutes exercise therapy a little bit later in this presentation. Anti-inflammatory drugs. So essentially NSAIDs taken orally can be something that's conservative. And the last one is going to be an epidural corticosteroid injection. These are all considered conservative treatments, and most folks are going to get better over the course of time with either nothing or some of these easy treatments. So in folks that are untreated, so essentially if you don't do physical therapy, no uh, steroid injections, no NSAIDs, what happens? Well, substantial improvements are found in 83% of patients with cervical radicular pain due to disc herniation four to six months after the onset of pain. Now, it is important to understand that this is with patients that have had a disc herniation, which is a little bit different than other forms of radicular pain. Uh, however, this is some hopeful news. In this same study, the time to complete recovery was around 24 to 36 months in most patients. So despite most patients getting better very rapidly, so in the first few weeks to months, folks feeling quite a bit better, it actually does take a substantial period of time for people to get all the way back to the baseline and feel back to normal. The other piece is that 22% of these patients had a recurrence that they reported as moderate, right? And this recurrence of pain wasn't as bad as the initial exacerbation, but along this healing journey, you're going to find some folks kind of get a little worse, get a little bit better. And then as they're getting better, they get a little flare up, not as bad as it initially was, but that's all normal. And it's part of the rehab process. Radhok Krishnan et al. found that at a four-year follow-up, nearly 90% of patients with cervical radiculopathy were either asymptomatic or only mildly symptomatic. So it's pretty dang nice. Over the course of a few years, most people are right back down to the baseline feeling pretty good, only some mild symptoms, if any. The other thing that's important to understand, and we'll talk about this more in depth later, is you can have cervical radiculopathy from a disc herniation, but it can also occur due to degenerative changes within the spine, right? And this same study found that there was no significant difference between having a disc herniation or degenerative changes, so something like an osteophyte complex, um, as a cause of radiculopathy and long-term outcomes associated to getting better. So if you have a disc herniation or you have degenerative changes, over the course of time, these both tend to get better at a similar rate. One of the biggest concerns with patients after they have a disc herniation is that they want to know if this disc is going to heal over the course of time. Well, there's something called disc resorption, which basically means that the, the disc can shrink back closer to its normal size 
over the course of time. Will these discs resorb over time? And the answer is mostly yes. So half of cervical disc herniations decrease within six months. About three quarters will decrease by more than 50% within two years, right? So again, this seems like it can take quite a bit of time for healing to occur or resorption to occur. The other piece to understand is that if you have cervical radiculopathy over the course of time, generally your symptoms will get better, but doesn't mean that your disc has to resorb or resorb quickly. So you can actually have decreased symptoms much more quickly than disc resorption. And in some cases you have no disc resorption, but the majority of symptoms get better over the course of time. Now, I think this is pretty confusing for patients and for physical therapists too. Like if you have a disc herniation that doesn't resorb, then how come your symptoms go down? There is usually, in, uh, excuse me, inflammation that occurs with a disc herniation. And over the course of time, this inflammation can go down. So it's just, despite there being some uh, mechanical compression of the disc up against the nerve, it doesn't mean you're just bound to have a ton of pain. It may have been the inflammation that was driving that in the first place. The other piece is that in the intervertebral foramen where those nerves live, there's quite a bit of space. So if you have a disc herniation and it's big enough, it might start to press up against that nerve a little bit, create some symptoms. And then over the course of time, as there's some resorption, it might be enough to decrease the compression. And now the nerve feels a-okay and you'll still find a smaller disc herniation via MRI, but it's small enough that it's creating no symptoms, right? If you guys like what you're learning about so far, then the next logical step is to sign up for the fitness pain-free mini course. I've made an absolutely free mini course and we go over four vital lessons for coaches and clinicians. The first lesson goes over how traditional schooling has failed us. Now, I'm actually a really big fan of education, and I think that physical therapy school actually prepared me pretty well to work with the average person. However, I really didn't learn how to work with the population that I want, which is people in the strength and fitness world. So I'm talking about powerlifting, bodybuilding, Olympic weightlifting, sport of fitness, and really people that just love working hard in the gym. And really my goal with the mini course is to help you understand how you work with this population to get them out of pain and keep them training. The next lesson is seven reasons why people get hurt in the gym. So it's vitally important they understand the injury mechanisms or why people get hurt in the gym. If we don't understand why folks are getting hurt in the gym, it's going to be very hard to rehabilitate those folks because let's say we do get them better. They go right back in the gym and get hurt in the same exact way they hurt before. The other piece is if we want to keep these folks safe for the long haul, we have to understand the main reason why these folks get hurt in the first place so we can keep them in the gym training as safe as possible and minimize that risk of future injury. Next, we go over four simple steps for getting your clients out of pain. Now, rehab can be very complicated. There's a lot of systems out there that make it very challenging to figure out how to work with your patients. However, it really doesn't have to be that complicated. So I go over four easy steps you can follow to get your patients out of pain and back in the gym where they belong. Lesson number four is how to build the career of your dreams and earn the respect of your community. Let's face it. The reason why you take these educational courses is obviously so you can learn a little bit more, but really the deep seat of reason is because you want to have the respect of your community. You want your clients to come in, work with you and say, wow, Joe was great. He did a phenomenal job with me tell their friends and their friends come to see you. And after a while, you're very valued and respected within your community. 
So I'm going to teach you how to do that. Second piece is that if you know these skills, it doesn't always mean you have a ton of patients going through the door so you can work with the population you want to work with, right? So you may be the absolute best coach in the world, but no one wants to come and see you because they don't know who you are and they don't know how good you actually are. So we'll teach you how to get the patients through the door that you want to work with. And lastly, we'll talk a little bit about the fitness pain-free certification. This is the largest and most comprehensive educational course that I offer, but more on this later. So I'll leave a link in the description, in the show notes. Again, it's 100% free, really easy to download. Go ahead and do that right now. And now back to your learning. What are some predisposing risk factors for the development of cervical radiculopathy? Well, for one, if you're older than 40, that increases your risk. The reason being is that the majority of folks that get cervical radiculopathy, they get this via degenerative changes within the spine. You're usually not born with degenerative changes, right? So with the passage of time, you have more and more degenerative changes, which can cause cervical radiculopathy. Also, being a woman increases your chances. Sorry, ladies. Uh, white race, same thing. Cigarette smoking, absolutely ter terrible for you for a variety of reasons, right? Having a prior lumbar radiculopathy increases your risk of a future cervical radiculopathy. So maybe some of the, th the same things that are creating a lumbar radiculopathy are also potentially leading to cervical radiculopathy. And lastly, trauma can be one of the things that can create cervical radiculopathy. However, the incidence of trauma preceding the onset of cervical radiculopathy is relatively low. And up to 30% of patients report the onset of pain when sitting, walking, or standing. Right. And I think this becomes very confusing for patients. They're like, well, I wasn't really doing anything. And then I had this, you know, intense onset of neck pain. What the heck is going on? Why would that happen? Uh, it's actually quite common, right? One third of patients, that's the onset. Right. Uh, and I've certainly seen patients that maybe hit their head, got into a car accident. Maybe they dropped the barbell on their neck and they immediately have, <clears throat> excuse me, radiculopathy symptoms. But keep in mind that these can just can occur over the course of time with relatively benign activities. And that's also normal. So I really wanted to mention this because it's a, it's enormous finding and it's a bit of an elephant in the room when it comes to neck pain in general, and also for a multitude of different injuries within the body. But I think for low back pain, as well as neck pain, you'll find that some of these psychological risk factors are very, very strong in their correlation between the onset and perpetuation of symptoms in folks that have neck pain, low back pain. Uh, this is not in the cervical radiculopathy literature, but I figured I would mention it. The other thing to keep in mind is that these parameters haven't been studied really well in cervical radiculopathy, but they have been studied pretty well in neck pain. So I'll just stop talking and get onto it. So what psychological risk factors increase your chances of getting neck pain? Long-term stress, a lack of social support, anxiety, and depression are important risk factors for neck pain. So these are things we don't often think about as physical therapists or patients. Patients might think, oh, it's my posture. I'm not in a great position, or I'm spending too much time sitting, right? Or I'm watching too much TV, or I'm texting too frequently, right? Uh, and these may be things that potentially correlate to pain, although posture doesn't have a great correlation with the onset, uh, excuse me, onset of pain, right? But some of these psychosocial uh, factors are much more important in the development of neck pain. And I also think that for folks who are trying to stay pain-free for the long haul, right, and get out of pain, trying to address some of these symptoms is probably going to be important. The next one I want to chat about is going to be sleep. Uh, sleep is an amazing thing we're starting to learn more and more about. And it seems like it's important for every aspect of our health, including pain and injuries. And if we're not sleeping well, it can also increase our risk of having some pain, right? 
So sleep disturbance is associated with neck pain and long lasting sleep disturbances strengthen the association, right? So if I don't sleep well, there's a good chance I'll have neck pain. And if I don't sleep well for an even longer period of time, it increases the likelihood that I start getting neck pain. Now, I think this is really important because obviously we're trying to decrease the risk for people getting neck pain, but sleep is also really important for recovery. So one of the things I'm really trying to improve for my patients with neck pain, especially cervical radiculopathy, is their ability to sleep, okay? What's tough is that neck pain makes sleep really hard. So if we can get them in more comfortable postures, so they sleep a little bit better, right? It's probably going to help them to recover better over the course of time. And lastly, high strain from a psychological perspective, active jobs and sleep disturbances are prognostic risk factors for neck, shoulder, and arm pain. Okay. So cervical radiculopathy basically is neck, shoulder, and arm pain, right? If we're not sleeping well, or if we have a lot of stress going on in our lives, this may be one of those things that leads us or at least increase our likelihood of getting some of these neck pain problems, maybe cervical radiculopathy. Next, let's go over some anatomy that's relevant for cervical radiculopathy. The first thing you'll notice here is that this is actually a lumbar spine, okay? And I actually have a cervical spine model. It's just that the cervical spine model is pretty small, and it's hard to actually see the intervertebral foramen well. I'm going to show you on the lumbar model because I think it's a little bit easier to see, okay? So just to orient you, this is going to be a spine. This is the front of my spine. This is the back of my spine. So if we see from the side, these are the spinous processes. As we go up and down, these are the transverse processes on the side, right? This yellow stuff right here are going to be nerves exiting. And what I want you to appreciate is going to be the space right here. This is called the intervertebral foramen, right? You can see the nerve exits right in that spot, okay? Now in cervical radiculopathy, we can have an injury to the nerves exiting through a variety of means, right? So one of those is going to be a disc herniation. So if you have a posterior lateral disc herniation, so think about this disc right through here. If this has a herniation towards the back and the side, that's right where this nerve lies, okay? And a couple things. So if I compress up against that nerve, that can create some symptoms, right? But the other piece is if I break the annular wall, the outside wall here, what can happen is that the inside contents can leak outside the exudates onto this exiting nerve root, and that can create a lot of inflammation, okay? So if you have a disc herniation, that pressure up against the nerve can create symptoms or inflammation that just occurs from the insides leaking outside, okay? The second piece is due to degenerative changes. So if I have degenerative changes over the course of time, that can lead to radiculopathy. What I mean by that is A, a decrease in the disc height. So if my intervertebral disc is getting shorter, right, over the course of time, that actually will compress the intervertebral foramen, right? So if me, my vertebrae are getting closer together just because the disc is shrinking, that's also going to shrink the intervertebral foramen, okay? The other piece is that we can have um, decreases in space due to osteoarthritis or hypertrophy of some of the areas around the intervertebral foramen. So if the uncovertebral joints or the joints of Lushka hypertrophy, right, due to mechanical compression. So think about the spine just taking stress over the course of time, then the bone can grow a little bit and shrink the space for the nerves leaving. You can also have osteophytes or bony spurs that can grow in this area. We can also have hypertrophy of the facet joints, right? 
all of those things are right around the intervertebral foramen. And if that space is getting smaller, 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 you might get too much compression on that nerve. And that compression can also create some inflammation and over the course of time, pain. So if we take the spine and flip it around, you actually find the like button is right behind the spine. And you definitely want to hit that and probably subscribe to the channel as well. So now we have an image of the intervertebral foramen. We have two images, one on the left, one on the right. The right side is actually in the cervical spine. And I think you'll be able to see that it's, it's actually a little tough to, to visualize because it's so small right there. But I drew a circle around it and pointed right to it, right? And then on the image on the left, we've taken one vertebrae off. And you can see the intervertebral foramen and the nerve as it exits, right? And from this position, you can see if I have a posterior lateral herniation, so a herniation that goes to the side and backwards, that can press right on that nerve root. And if I do have some of the contents of the inside of the disc leaking outside, that's going to spill all over that nerve and create a bunch of pain, right? Inflammation and a, a cascade of symptoms. Next, here's another image, uh, also in the lumbar spine, but I think it's really easy to appreciate the intervertebral foramen in this image. Uh, the other image to the right that I like is a disc from the top. And what's kind of nice is you can see the nucleus propulsus, which is going to be the inside and the darker gray. Around it on the outside is annular fibrosis, excuse me, the annulus fibrosis. And a little tough to see in the images, but they actually form rings. There's a whole bunch of rings, kind of like the center of a tree. If you cut a tree in half, you can see all the rings. You've got rings of the annulus fibrosis, and they extend all the way to the outer wall, right? And if you break through all the layers of the annular wall, you obviously can have some of the inside contents leak outside, and that's associated with the a disc herniation that is non-contained. Again, these non-contained disc herniations where the insides leak outside can lead to a bunch of inflammation just because the nerve is bathed with the nucleus propulsus. And lastly, we have an image of a disc cut in half. And this is pretty nice because you can very easily visualize the annular wall and the different rings. And you can also see the intervertebral disc in this example is getting pushed a little bit out to the side. If we have too much of that over the course of time, if we break through all of those annular rings, then we can have a non-contained disc herniation eventually. The other thing to mention in this photo is going to be the facet joint. So if you have hypertrophy of the facet joint, you can see how the intervertebral foramen is going to have a little less space, right? So again, the things that can crown out, crowd out the intervertebral foramen going to be reduction in the disc height can also be hypertrophy of the joints of Lushka. You can also have hypertrophy of the facet joints and osteophytes around the area that can grow in and compress the nerve as it exits. So now that you know more about cervical radiculopathy, you still need to know how to do all the special tests to rule in or rule out this condition. I have a great video for you. I'll leave a link in the corner right over there. Click on that and continue the learning. I'll see you on that next video. If you're interested in the references, I'll leave them in the description in the show notes. You can definitely check those out. Lastly, I just want to say thank you so much for your support. You truly allow me to do what I love for a living. If you're watching this on YouTube, please hit that thumbs up button. If you leave a comment, it helps the algorithm. I'd also love to know your thoughts on this presentation today. Please subscribe to the channel. It helps me out tremendously. If you're listening to the podcast version of this, please consider leaving me a positive review. Again, it helps tremendously. If you want to see more content like this in the future, we got to make sure we grow this over the course of time, right? 
And lastly, if you want to support me even further, consider subscribing to Fitness Pain-Free Insiders. This is going to be my premium subscription membership to Fitness Pain-Free, where all my best content updated monthly uh, lives. So head to fitnesspainfree.com, click on the programs link, click on Fitness Pain-Free Insiders online library, just $1 for a week trial. I'll also leave a link in the show notes in the description. All right, go ahead and check it out.